Well, good morning. What a great day. Great day to be in God's house. It's great to see you here. Listen, you've picked a great day to be here at Calvary. Uh, we're going to start a new series this morning. We're going to talk about doors. Over the next five weeks, we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about doors. Uh, and, and you'd be surprised at how few times in, in the Bible the word door appears, but how significant it is. And so I want to talk to you about, over the next five weeks, I want to talk to you about some doors. Now, before I get into that, uh, tomorrow night you're going to have these knocks on your door, right? It's amazing how we feel when there's a knock on the door. It, it all depends on what it's predicated on. Yesterday I had the opportunity to be at a first birthday party. And you know what every knock on the door meant? Every knock on the door meant another gift, right? Listen, if it's your special day, and you know people are bringing presents, you know what you like? You like that knock on the door, right? Yeah. If you, uh, if you know that you're in trouble, My, uh, my brother, when we were in grade school, um, my brother got caught shoplifting. And uh, police took him away, and then they brought him back home, and my, my mother was working. And so uh, they said, we'll be back this evening to talk to your parents. And there came that ominous knock on the door. It all depends the context in which you hear that knock. Revelation 3.20 says this. And it's, it's, it's Jesus speaking to the church. And he says this. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. It is, it is the desire of God. It's the heart of God to have this wonderful, amazing connection. He, God doesn't come with judgment. Here's what he does he comes with grace and compassion and that's that's what he offers us and and that's what we uh, should offer to others hey by the way tomorrow night people knocking on the door uh, I think that Christians have taken the long the wrong posture with Halloween for the longest time Halloween was birthed as a specifically a Christian holiday uh, it absolutely was there, there are some who want to rewrite history and say that that's not the case but Halloween was birthed as a Christian holiday. Uh, it is Al Hallow's Eve. And uh, for some reason, we have Christian, much of Christianity has abandoned that day. And we do it because uh, we freak out over stupid things. Okay? Can I tell you something? When Batman appears at your door tomorrow night, it's not the real Batman. Okay? Give the child some candy. Okay? You know, tell him, hey. God bless you. Have a great night. Please do not be that creepy Christian who lives on the street that is the only person that's not giving out candy because somehow you're on your moral high ground. All right? And instead of, instead of them knowing you as a person that lives a life of joy, they know you as somebody who's bitter and doesn't give out candy. That'll preach. And I know there are a number of you that are struggling with that right now. And just let the conviction set in and let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. And, and you, will, you will learn. I want to talk to you about the first door found in Scripture. first door found in Scripture is found in Genesis chapter 4. In Genesis chapter 4, we're told this, that Adam and Eve have two sons. 
And at first they have Cain, then they have Abel. And, and as, they, as they grow, uh, Cain and Abel grow up in an understanding of, of who God is and this connection that they are to have, have with God. And in time, both Cain and Abel bring an offering to the Lord. Now, now Cain just brings some of, the, some of the harvest that he has, that he has achieved. But Abel, what Abel does is Abel gives the first. He gives the first fruits. He honors God with the first. And scripture tells us this, that that God regarded or that God approved Abel's offering. But he did not regard, he did not approve, he, he did not respect the offering of Cain. Why? Was it because... Cain brought fruit and Abel brought meat? No. It it, it was because of the posture with which it was given. That Abel put God first. Cain just did what he thought he was obligated to do. And so in that, God respected what Abel did, did not respect what Cain did. And Cain realizing this, instead of recognizing the error of his ways, he gets angry with Abel. And so God speaks to Cain and he says, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what's right, won't you be rewarded for that? But recognize this, Cain, if if you live in what's wrong, sin is crouching at the door. Sin is crouching at the door. And he goes on to say this, he says, it desires you, but you must master it. You must win this fight. God, we we thank you for your word today. Let it be a, a lamp to our feet, a light into our path. God, help us to hide your word in our heart that we might not sin against you. And God, we commit this to you. In Jesus' name, amen. God speaks to Cain about this issue of of envy. And Cain's response is not falling on his face before God and recognizing this trap. No, what does he do? The very next verse tells us that he goes out and kills his brother. Envy, that green-eyed monster. When I was in seventh grade, I shoplifted a pair of Nike tennis shoes. All of the, all of the cool kids were wearing Nike tennis shoes. This is when Nike first burst on the scene. I was not wearing Nike tennis shoes. I could not convince my mother that Nike were fundamentally better than Keds. Look, they're going to last the same. They work. They put on your feet. Be happy that you have shoes. There are children in Africa who don't have shoes. Anybody else get that speech from your parents? And my response was, Mom, send them these kids. I don't want these. My, My mom was doing the best that she could. Right? My dad died when I was seven years old. 
Uh, our family was financially devastated as a result. My mom was working hard to try to put food on the table. But that didn't change the fact that as a seventh grader that I would walk into school and everybody else was wearing name brand clothes. At least it seemed to me that everybody else was wearing name brand, name brand clothes. Right? Because that was all I could see. I saw my classmates in Levi's and I was wearing JCPenney's Plain Pockets. Who ever got the idea that a Plain Pocket was a good idea? And even the name, JCPenney Plain Pockets. Okay, why don't you just call it dull clothing? Right? And they're, they're just as good. No, they're not. I would walk to school and I'd, I'd have these plain pocket jeans on and these kedge shoes. and It wasn't right. It wasn't right that they charged so much for those Nike shoes. It wasn't right. You know what? I deserve those shoes just as much as that kid does. Probably more than that kid. He has no idea what it is to need. He has no idea what it is to struggle. He has no idea what it is to sacrifice. I deserve those shoes just as much as anybody else. And just because my mom can't afford them, why should I not have them? It seemed to me the right thing to do was to go and take what I deserved. Wasn't the only time I did that. I remember walking through a, a neighborhood that was much nicer than the neighborhood that we lived in. Same, same, same year, seventh grade school year. In fact, it was the neighborhood when people asked, it was the neighborhood that I told them that I lived in. See, I lived in the, I lived in the heart of the ghetto. Well, we aspired to live in the ghetto. We, we, we didn't quite make it to... We, we, we lived, the people lived in the ghetto would make fun of where we lived. And, and, uh, but I would tell people that we lived in a different, when people would ask, I'd tell them that we lived in a different neighborhood. My, uh, my mother worked wrapping meat uh, in, uh, for You Save Supermarket. If people asked what my family did, I told them that my mother owned You Save Supermarket. And I was very convincing. So I was walking through the neighborhood that I said that we lived in, and there was a brand new BMX bike out there in the front yard. That kid didn't deserve that bike. Why would he leave it sitting out in the front yard like that? If I had a bike like that, I wouldn't just leave it out there for anybody to take. Spoiled, rotten kid. He doesn't understand what it's like to live life with challenge. He doesn't understand what it's like to live life with hardship. He doesn't understand what it's like to desire something and not have it. Anything he wants, he gets. I want him to experience just a little bit of what I experienced. So I took his bike. Oddly enough, six weeks later, I stopped at a local convenience store, riding that bike, left it outside. While I was in making my purchase, someone stole my bike. 
I, I, I cannot put into words how angry I was. I, I can't put into words how hurt I was. The, the emotion that flowed freely. I'd like to say that in that situation that I empathized with the boy that I took the bike from, but I didn't. Because you know what? He didn't work to get that bike. I did. Well, sort of. Envy. Envy. It's a feeling of of discontentful or even resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or even seeming good fortune. And, And here's what envy is. Envy is a secretly held emotion. I have, I've been in the ministry for 30 years. I have, I've prayed with thousands of people. I have never had someone come to an altar and say, Pastor, would you, would you pray with me? I'm dealing with envy. It's something that we don't talk about. It's something that we don't acknowledge. And yet, it is an issue that runs rampant through our culture. And I believe this. I believe this insidious trap that we see manifest in the life of Cain and Abel but is actually the root of sin because it is envy that gave birth to Satan. Being envious of the praise that was offered to God. And it is the trap that still so significantly works today. Envy. We, uh, we two weeks ago, or I'm sorry, a week ago rather, uh, we presented the keys to a van to a family who has two small girls that are in a wheelchair. As I was greeting folks in the lobby after church, I received a handwritten note from an individual who was angry that we gave that person a vehicle and did not give them a vehicle. Don't judge. Because on some level, we've all felt that way. What what makes her deserve that? What makes him deserve that? In fact, at the end of the service this morning, we're going to have the pastors. It's the end of Pastor Appreciation Month. We're going to have the the pastors up here. We're going to pray over the pastors. And then it's been announced that we're going to receive an offering for the pastors. Some of you are going to be envious of that. You know... Get over it. Pray through. The best way, the best way to resolve that, to champion it, is to give big in that offering. I'm just joking. Just breathe. Breathe. You can still give big in the offering, but I, I wasn't serious. See, envy is an issue that wreaks havoc on us, but it's not 
something that we admit. If we're envious of someone, it's unlikely that we'll admit it to anyone. Except perhaps to someone else who's envious. And will help you in denigrating them. Envy is different than jealousy. Jealousy is actually birthed out of, out of an anxiety, out of fear. But envy, envy has its, has its root in acrimony. Envy has its root in disdain. Envy is not just wanting what the other person has, it's wanting it instead of them. It is what we see in the political spectrum today. It's not just wanting to be in the political office that's held by what should be an opponent. It's wanting to have that place and in so doing, destroying my political enemy. It's the reason why, friends, there is so much disdain for what's happening in politics today. Because no longer are politicians in different parties opponents. They are adversaries. They are enemies. And it is, it's rooted in envy. I don't just want what you want. I want to have it instead of you. I want to be higher and I want you to be lower. That's envy. And we'd like to think as Christ followers, those of us who are here that have already made that commitment to Christ, we'd like to think that we're exempt from it. But can I tell you, it is everywhere. It, in, it is insidious and it is crouching at the door. It wants to have you, but you must master it. What, what God spoke to Cain in the dawn of creation is still true today. That sin is crouching at the door in the form of envy and it wants to have you, but you must master it. And here's the reason why, because what James writes in James chapter 3 is powerful. It says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. See, envy is the bedrock upon which evil builds. It is the fuel for every evil practice. And so, if you're here today, whether you're here as a skeptic, a seeker, or you fancy yourself as a saint, it would do us well, each one of us individually today, to ask the question, God, where is envy finding root in my life? I, I, I want to point out something to you. I didn't say God is envy finding root in my life. No. The question is, God, where is envy finding root in my life? 
Why don't you take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 37th chapter. Psalm 37. And in Psalm 37, God gives uh, a powerful truth to David and through David on this issue of envy and, and, and dealing with it. And, and here's what I find. I, I find this, that there is, that there is, there's a lot in this chapter in Psalm 37 on putting an end to envy. Uh, and I just want to, this morning, I'm going to focus real quickly on five. So God speaks to, speaks to David and speaks to us through the writings of David in Psalm 37, starting in the very first verse. It says this, Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. It's interesting that, that God would speak to a man who fashions himself as a man after God's own heart. Right? And, and that statement, don't be envious of those who do wrong. And that's real easy to do as a, as a, as a Christ follower, isn't it? It's real easy to, to have the same thought that David had. Why do evil prosper? God, it seems to me that I'm living my life, I'm doing right. And my neighbor who doesn't serve God, who doesn't act honorably, who, who doesn't follow principles of Christian stewardship, none of that. And it seems like every time I pull into the driveway and I look at his driveway, he's got a new car, he's got a new boat, he's got a new toy. And God, I'm living my life the right way. And for some reason, it doesn't work for me the way that it works for him. God, where are these, where are these, where are these promises that you talked about? I understand that my father owns cattle on a thousand hills. I just want one. I'm not asking for much. God, you spoke the world word and the world came to order. God, why can't you speak the word and provide me a Tesla? It's really, it's not difficult for you, right? It's not going to really cost you anything because your resources are unlimited. Come on, help a brother out a little bit. That guy's got everything. I got nothing. Right? He got the gold mine, I got the shaft. And, and so David in the midst, listen, David, if you think about the life of David over and over again, David finds himself in difficult situations. And he struggles with the fact that those who live a life that have a lack of character seem to be doing better than him. But God says this, do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do, do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. It really is an issue of perspective, isn't it? See, if I, if I really believe, if I truly embrace this issue, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If I really do believe what Jesus said when he said, store for yourself treasures in heaven where rust and moth do not corrupt, where thieves don't break in and steal. If, if I really embrace 
Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Then I, then I have to be mindful to not get caught up in the moment and not get caught up in the temporary. As a junior hire, when I was shoplifting and stealing kids' bikes, I was also part of the student government at my school. Yeah. Straight-A student. Beloved by my teachers. I was asked to be a part of a peer counseling group because I was so well-adjusted. That I could help other teenagers that were struggling. Yeah, me as a peer counselor, living in my own fantasy world. Um, but they asked me to do so, and I, I reluctantly agreed. And as these students would come and they would talk about their problems, I remember thinking, you know what? You live in the neighborhood that I tell people that I live in. You've got both parents at home. You've probably never even experienced your father's hand swatting you, much less being beaten with limbs off the backyard tree. I would take your problems in a heartbeat. Didn't understand as an adolescent that that the higher the per per capita income in a community, the higher the suicide rate. I didn't didn't understand that that the pressures might look different, but the pressures were there. I I, I didn't understand the, the anxiety of of growing up in a home where where dad is trying to live his former glory through your athletic exploits and every time you, you don't perform to perfection the guilt and the shame that's spoken over you. I, I didn't understand that. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't appreciate that. See, I was, I was caught up in my own difficulty, right? I, I was caught up in my own struggle. I was caught up in my own pain that, that I couldn't understand your pain that came from a different angle. And all I could see was that which you had that I didn't have. And it didn't seem fair to me that you had this status, that you had this position, that you had this stuff. And that which I was envious over was all stuff that faded away. It didn't last. In the grand scheme of things, it, it wasn't important. So David writes this, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. 
See, we put an end to envy when we find our identity in Christ. Oftentimes, the circumstances in which we find ourselves envious, they're, they're a social comparison, right? Or a competition between ourselves and another person. And, and, and this, this competition and comparison with others, it's, it's a yardstick by which, by which we, we measure ourselves. And envy is triggered when in our mind or even in our subconscious, we fall short. Right? And we all play the comparison game. We do. We all play the, the comparison game. And, and that, that, that measuring up, that evaluation, and, and when, when, the, when the scale tips in our favor, if we're not careful, it's easy to gloat. And gloat is the ugly sister of envy. Gloat, gloating is, is feeling good about what we have because you don't have it. Envy is being irritated that you have it and we don't. And wanting to have it and you not have it. And we get caught up in this, in, this, in this measuring game. And, and, and that happens when we find our identity in our accomplishments, in our prestige, in our possessions, in our reputation, in our status. Envy makes us push and push and push. In stark contrast to what Jesus said in Matthew 11 when he said this, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Right? Take my yoke upon you and, and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my, my burden is light. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. God does not promise he will give to you what he gives to the next guy. Isn't that interesting? God does not promise that he'll give to you what he gives to the next guy. What he does promise is that he'll be faithful to you. And there's a difference between faithfulness and fairness. God is not fair. God is not fair. Now some of you are going, that's not true, Pastor. God is, God's very fair, right? And you're even a little offended by the, the statement that I made. Let me help you. If God is fair, why is one child born in sickness and another in health? If God is fair, why is one child born in poverty and another in wealth? God is not fair. Can I offer this to you? As a parent, I was not fair with my children. I did not give my children the same. And here's the reason I did not give my children the same. Jody and I are blessed to have two children, and we did not give our children the same thing. Let me tell you why. Because my daughter 
is a girl free-spirited. My son, male, very methodical. They are very different people. I did not give them the same thing. We didn't dress them the same way, praise God. I did not give them the same gifts. I, I do not try to, 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 to take care of each one of them monetarily the same. Because, see, it's not my responsibility to give my children the same. It's my responsibility as a parent to be there and to help them with their need. And so my response shouldn't be about equality. It should be about being faithful to that role of a parent and faithful to their need. And God is going to be faithful to you. God doesn't look at you in comparison to somebody else. And, and, and here's the problem with this issue of fairness and equality. Fairness and equality, what it does is it takes the focus off of God. It takes the focus off of me and it causes my focus to be on you. And anytime I start looking at the focus and look at the focus on you, I'm in trouble. You see, Cain's problem was this. In that issue in Genesis chapter 4, when we see sin introduced, sin being used as a statement for the first time in Scripture, Cain's problem wasn't Abel. Cain's problem was Cain. And what Cain did is Cain offered a sacrifice to God that he knew that was substandard. And if Cain, instead of focusing on his brother, instead of saying, what about him? If Cain would have honestly functioned in his relationship between him and God and honestly said, God, thank you for responding to me in grace. And God, thank you for pointing out this area of deficiency in my life, this growth opportunity in my life. God, help me to get better. God, help me to respond well. The story of Cain would have been very different. But instead of Cain focusing on his relationship with God, Cain chose to focus instead on the comparison with his brother and brought bitterness to the point of murder. And we kill relationships every day. Christian. We wound our testimony every day. Because we want our identity to be in what we accomplish. We want our identity to be in what we have. We want our identity to be in our reputation. We want our identity to be in our address. Find your identity in Christ. And when you find your identity in Christ, what happens is this. You're able to, to breathe. David goes on to write. He says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the new day sun. It's about finding my identity in Christ and then staying focused. Right? It's so easy to be distracted. Let me, let, me, let me tell you something about the profession that I'm in. Pastors are human. It's probably a shock to some of you. We're human, right? And, and being human, we struggle with these issues of competition. We struggle with these issues of envy. Okay? Go to, a, 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 go to a, a, a situation where pastors gather. One of the first things that they'll ask is they'll say this. How, how, what, 
what, what is your church run? What are you running? Now let me tell you my response that I give. We don't make our people run. We let them walk. Then they go, no, no, you know what I mean. Well, you know, we had, six weeks ago, we had 1,800. Oh, Easter Sunday, you had 1,800 Easter Sunday. What, what is your normal attendance? Well, I have friends that pastor large churches, and, and when, they, when they calculate their attendance, they will add 10% for the people that are in the bathroom. Okay? Now, we, we right now, we're, we're averaging uh, just a little under 1,000 per Sunday. Keep praying. God, help us to get over that 1,000 mark. Um, not, not for the sake of a number, but just because I know how, what it is in church dynamics. So, something happens when you finally get over that 1,000 mark. I, for me to say we have 10% of the people in the bathrooms, are there 98 people in our restrooms right now? <laughs> our restrooms can't handle that many people. Right? And in their church, this is, this is, a, this is a church of 5,000. There are 500 people in your restrooms. You don't have that many toilets, my friend. Right? But because of this issue of competition, oh dear, dear Lord, please don't let them, let them see this on, on, on. Because I know we stream this. For those of you that are my friends, I'm sure you have 500 people in your restrooms. I'm not, I'm not, questioning, I'm not questioning your math. I understand your church has, you know, bladder issues. Um, the, can't believe I just said that. It's embarrassing. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. And, and here, here was my experience. Um, I've experienced this both. I experienced this both as a youth pastor and I experienced as a staff pastor that, that um, when I would come into a community, I'd find guys that wanted to connect with me and they wanted to hang out with me. And you know what? I was their buddy. I was their friend. All the while, our ministry was growing. And it, there was a change as soon as our attendance was one person more than theirs. Now instead of being a great guy that was there to reach out to the community, now I'm a sellout that I'm, I'm preaching gospel light just to get people in. When did that shift happen? It, it's, it's not just about my church growing. It's about my church being bigger than your church. There are 1.5 million unchurched, dechurched people in Orlando. And I want to reach them. And you know what? If they don't come to Calvary and they go to another church, that's okay. Because my mission is not to grow the biggest church in Orlando. My mission is to help people connect with this amazing God that can set them free. Now that being said... This is the best church in town. I'm just, I'm just saying. To all of my pastor friends in Orlando, I'm with you. Uh, but this is the best church in town. And so if you're watching this on Facebook Live via live stream or you're watching this on Good Life 45 and you go to a different church, man, I'm, I'm happy for that. As long as your pastor preaches the word of God, stay there and be, in, be invested. If you're in a church that doesn't preach the word of God or you're not going to church, you need to check out Calvary first before you check out any other church. There's something powerful in staying focused, isn't there? Not, not getting caught up in, in this in, in, in unhealthy comparison, unhealthy competition. When, when, you, when you read, whenever God lays this out, right? 
When Jesus is asked, what's the most important commandment? Where does he start? Love God. When, when God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, the first three of those Ten Commandments, they focus on your connection with God, our connection with God. Why? Because that has to be first. And when, when our vertical relationship is right, our horizontal relationships are right, and our impact of the world works. When our vertical relationship is wrong, everything else is skewed. And that's the reason why, this, in, in battling this issue of envy, putting an end to envy in our life, it starts with placing our trust in God. And then staying focused on that. And, and then as we're journeying forward, notice this. It says it in verse number 7 of Psalm 37. It says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. I'm going to read this from verse 1 because I want you to catch this in context. Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. For, they, for like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Don't, don't worry about all that, but just wait on God's timing. Wait on God's timing. Let me tell you another thing about about my journey. This is, this is not me stealing people's stuff. This is more positive. Um, so when Jody and I got married, one of the things that we committed to was not getting ourselves into debt. And so, you know, we got married and at the same time we had friends that were getting married as well. And, and when, you, when you reach adulthood, and those of you that are 16, 17, 18, 19, listen to this, Okay. You will, if you're not already experiencing this, you soon will. Every day there will be, there will, you will receive something in the mail that says, we want to extend you credit. Right? By the way, people will give you much more, much more credit than what you can possibly handle in your finance. Well, they said that, that look, they, they, said, they said because I'm such a great person, they're willing to, they trust me. Why shouldn't I trust me? Right? And so we had friends that they quickly, they had all this nice furniture and they had this nice car and they had this, and, and we didn't. Jody, the first three months that Jody and I were married, we slept on, a, on, a, a, on a, one of those fold-away beds that is not quite a twin and not quite a full, right? You know, the kind you could fold up and shove in the closet? And then, and then after being married for three months, we, we bought a waterbed. Does anybody still have a waterbed? Do they even still make them? Yeah, and so they had the ones, you could get the ones that were motion reduced, or you could get the one like we had, which was like sleeping on a beached whale. Yeah. <laughs> $152 is what it cost us. And we bought the padded side rails because if you got over $150, you could get 90 days same as cash. And I, wouldn't, I wasn't willing to pay interest, but if you'd give me money for free, I'd take it, right? 
uh, to where I can keep my money in the bank. And so, so yeah. You know what I noticed? I noticed that 12 years later, those friends were still paying off of that, paying off that furniture that was now tattered and torn. And we slowly but surely over time, God just faithfully providing for our needs. You know, we would, we would acquire this piece. We would get that. A, a lot of nice furniture that was just given to us. We had a man in the church in Wisconsin that uh, had some, some furniture that, that was designed to go in suites of a five-star hotel that they shipped too much and the the, the, the hotel and the shipper didn't want it back. They didn't want to pay him for the storage charges. And they said, just keep the furniture. And he said, hey, would you like this furniture? And we said, yes. And, and it, it has been amazing to us over the years how God has supernaturally provided. Now, what we could have done is we could have chosen to do it our way, right? Go out, get it now, get it on credit. And step into massive financial bondage. Because after all, our furniture isn't as nice as their furniture. And we can't have people coming over our house and seeing this leopard print sofa that I bought for $25 at a secondhand store. It was hideous, but it was comfortable. It was big. And you know what? That thing would last forever. You never notice that ugly doesn't wear out. There's something to be said for, for being patient. That's how, that's how we deal with envy. We, we find our identity in Christ and, and, we, and, and we, we, let, we let Christ be the source of our joy. Be patient. Trust, trust in his timing. Make sure that we stay focused along the way. And I, I, I love the way this portion of Psalm 37 ends. It says this. It says, refrain from anger and turn away from wrath. Don't fret. That only leads to evil. Evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A, a little while, and the wicked will be no more. Then you, you will look for them, and they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. It is Psalm 37 that Jesus is quoting in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, the meek will inherit the earth. It's a misunderstood scripture. People mistakenly think about meek as being weak. And meek does not mean weak on any level, especially in biblical context. It's not referring to weakness. The best way to explain it is this. In... In the time of the Roman Empire, there was this elite fighting force of Roman guards. They were called the Praetorian Guard. And they, they, they rode these horses. And the horses were called meeked horses. And the Praetorian Guard could advance on these horses with the horses actually touching one another on the sides. And they could run at a full sprint. And they would stay together. 
And they would not push against one another. Why? Because it was this amazing power, this strength of a mighty beast. But it was under incredible control. And that's what meekness is. is Meekness is power under control. And so those who understand the power that they have, but they live in mastery of that. So they don't allow the power to control them. They control the power. That's what meekness is. When you see the word meek in scripture, that's what it's referring to. It's not referring to on any level weakness. So we have these emotions. We have this heart. And sometimes, sometimes what comes out of our heart is altruistic. Sometimes what comes out of our heart is well-meaning. But sometimes, sometimes that green-eyed monster, well, in my life it's a lot more than sometimes. That green-eyed monster comes from within. Out of the abundance of the heart. Sometimes I'm happy for you when you do well. Sometimes when you get that recognition and I don't. Sometimes when you get that massive bonus and I don't. Sometimes you roll up to 1199 Clay Street in that shiny new German sports car. It's real easy for for what's inside of me to betray me. I truthfully, I don't want to be envious of you. But I battle with it sometimes. And, and, and maybe I'm not preaching to anybody else this morning. Maybe I'm just preaching to me. Thank you for coming to my counseling session. <laughs> but I'm fairly confident that I'm not the only one who deals with this issue of envy. And isn't it interesting, Scripture says that that where there's envy, every evil practice finds root. I thank you today that you're not a God of condemnation, that you're not here to bring guilt on us, but that you are a God that brings conviction, a desire to change. And God, I, I pray this, that no one here, myself included, that no one here would be outside this wonderful work of the Holy Spirit that brings a healthy desire to change.